welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello and welcome. Today on the show, I have Ramesh Hetirachi, commercial lawyer at BNI. I brought Ramesh on the show specifically today to talk about the very different model he's adopted for how he charges and interacts with his clients and how that change in compensation and, and billing has actually resulted in a very different and very benevolent or a very different and very positive outcome for how all his client relationships are turning out. And with that, here's my interview with Ramesh. Ramesh, thanks for taking the time today. Jason, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Oh, my pleasure. So Ramesh, tell us a little bit about what you do. So yeah, I'm a commercial lawyer. I'm at a small law firm in the west of the city, west of Toronto. And um, I've been running this practice for about three years, built on this idea of providing proactive legal advice to more modern business owners and entrepreneurs. And I came across this, I started developing this model after about seven years of practice. When I realized that clients really want more out of their lawyer than simply drafting contracts. So I've been working on this model over the past three years, and it's been something that I think has value, and I'd love to share what I've learned. So basically, the traditional model with a lawyer, as I always say, is you hope to never have to call. Right? Like there's, there's certain things that we absolutely are going to need uh, lawyers for, right? We need a contract, we need to set up a company, all this other stuff. Well, maybe some of these cases. But if you're going to do it right, you could go to a lawyer. And of course, there's a let's just say confrontational or adversarial approach there in the first place, because clients are universally worried about what a lawyer is going to cost. They hear lawyer and they think lots of money and you're already, yeah, yeah, that's exactly, exactly. Right. So you're already in a almost, you're in almost an adversarial position here because the lawyer is incentivized to spend as much time on a case as possible. The client doesn't want you to spend that much time on a case as possible. And, you know, price becomes a conflict point towards service. So Talk to me about how you feel about that view of the world and, and how it is you have tried to kind of flip that model. Sure. So let's start off with what you just hit on. I think that for the longest time, the majority of the legal profession or the traditional legal profession has seen their value as simply being exchanging time for money. And we call that what's called the billable hour. And Jason, you're absolutely right. What that means is that there are really conflicting incentives right? There's no incentive for the lawyer to do, to accomplish the same amount of work in less time because they, that would mean the lawyers paid less. And this is written about endlessly, right? Like, I mean, I remember talking about this when I was in law school almost a decade ago. And what I, what came, what I started to come to realize is that this is a problem that needs to be reimagined and re-explored. And over time and over the past three years, as the way, when I see a lawyer, when I see the value of a lawyer to a client is really threefold. One, we're either solving problems by minimizing risk, or, and lastly, we're managing process. Very good lawyers will do all three of them. If your lawyer's not doing any of them, they're probably not doing, then you're probably not getting a lot of value from them. And that was really my starting point to think about how do client, how can clients use and generate more value from a lawyer more effectively and efficiently? And that led me to this idea of the difference of the difference between reactive lawyering and proactive lawyering. So let me just break this down for you. So, and this comes back to the four ways I think about when how to use a lawyer, right? There's a first school of thought about using a lawyer, and that's usually as sort of like a paramedic, right? 
a lawyer is costly. Yeah, a lawyer doesn't provide value. Yeah. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to talk to them unless I'm in a, I'm in trouble. Does it make sense, Jason? Hundred percent. It's the triage model. If something went wrong, it's a I triage. Need help. Exactly. And the second type of model is this idea of the lawyer as a manager, and that again is comes back down to the idea that the onus of talking to a lawyer is placed on the client. So a client says, "I'm hiring an employee. I need to talk to a lawyer to draft an employment contract." That type of thing, right? So. The onus on the client to identify when you talk to a lawyer. Again, it's still reactive. Yeah. It's a reactive approach to using a lawyer. It's a self-managed approach. I am it's basically, I have, defi- I have defined that I, exactly. need a, I need a client. I, I am the one who's determined that. So you're, you're dealing with the, you have to be in your zone of conscious incompetence, right? You have to know that you don't know, right? You have to know that I need something beyond what I'm capable of doing. That's exactly it. And I'm, and like I said, I'm interested in the last two schools of thought, which is basically the lawyer as kind of like a lifeguard to identify and address and minimize risk. And the last stage being, or the last school of thought being the lawyer as being a sort of strategic advisor. So a lawyer that's actively working to actually increase the profitability of your business. And that's really what I'm focusing on building my legal practice around the idea of a lawyer of uh, the, the value of having an ongoing relationship with your lawyer to either identify and address risk, so a risk mitigation approach, as well as the idea of a lawyer as a revenue generation opportunity. The lawyer can come in and advise you, here are some of the ways to generate more money. Going back to my previous statement about like the previous model being conscious incompetence. Like I know that I need to do something. A lot lawyers got to do it, but I don't know what needs to be done. So therefore I need a lawyer. You go to the lifeguard approach. It's, it's basically the unconscious incompetence. Like you are solving for that problem. They don't know what's wrong in their practice. Basically they think they're running it all fine and they don't know what's wrong in their practice because they're not educated to look for these things. Right. And the last one, as you said, again, the strategic partner, which is like essentially your part of their team. Like you're a, you're a fractional chief legal officer, but for the record, and those of you listening to this podcast, listening for a long time, I mean, you're no doubt hearing a message you've heard before. <laughs> and this is one of the reasons why we, we were like, oh boy, this is a, this is a meeting of like minds was again, this is the same exact messaging in my industry. The reality yeah. is, is people say, well, what's the, what value can you bring to the table? My response is, I don't know. Cause I haven't gotten into your, I haven't gotten up in your business yet. Right. Like that's, you know, until I actually know what's going in your life, I don't know if you've done everything right. Well, I've done everything right. Well, how can you say that when you don't <laughs> know, you don't have the practitioner's level of knowledge of something. You can't know that you don't have all these blind spots and it happens all the time. And, and just to share a quick story, met a very, very wealthy individual and he was very successful and clearly someone who just kind of like used the, the triage approach, right? The managerial approach. I need to do this. I need to do that. Had this massive complex situation. And within about a 20 minute phone call, I identified several large scale fundamental structural problems in their arrangement that were resulting in, that was going to result in untold tax burden. And it was, again, like he thought he was doing everything right because he was, he was managing it, but he didn't have the lifeguard or the partner. And that's, I mean, that I come across this so many times and I really advocate for my class to build teams. There's one school of thought that you've got to build success all by itself. And there may be individuals who can be the self-sufficient type of idea, but in my experience and from everything that I've read and from the people that I've been around, the most successful people are the people that are able to build teams that work together for everyone's success. So I always tell clients there's value in having 
and a, a good account, having a relationship with an account on an ongoing basis, having a relationship with a developer or designer on an ongoing basis. Obviously, this, this is, these types of approaches are not right for every business, but when you're building out a team, you're building out a foundation for your enterprise's overall success. And we are going into a relationship-oriented world, and you should be working to build those relationships. Yeah, but I think the entire, the myth of the self-made individual is is that. It's a myth. Like, do you think Bezos got to be the world's richest man because he decided not to hire and delegate? Like, do you think that they're, you know, yeah. the reality is, is that we all require massive amounts of support. It's like the old thing about it takes a village to raise a child. The, you know, got news for you. It takes a large ecosystem to make, it, to make a company successful. And part of that ecosystem has to be someone watching your back like you. And I always talk about community. So for me, it's about who is your community. Your community is both, your, yes, your team, but it's also your suppliers, it's also your vendors, it's also your customers and your clients. And once you start reimagining how your business fits in into that ecosystem, into that environment, I've had customers or I have clients over the last year when they went through the pandemic, they, their staff were willing to take pay cuts just to keep the company afloat. Or there were customer, there were vendors that said, you know what, we're going to extend our payment terms. If you have a solid team, it pays off dividends because your business model becomes flexible. And Mm-hmm. What I'm doing at its core is reimagining how lawyers conduct business. And I have to say, I'm not the only lawyer that does it. I think there's a lot of really good lawyers out there that I'm learning from and they're learning from me. And there's a community out there that's trying to figure out how to get this done right. But at the core, we're talking about how do you have a business model that's relevant and responsive to the needs of how our clients and customers are doing business. Yep. And you can't have that if you have your paramedic or managerial approach, right? Because those are always action triggered, not ongoing. So what have you done in terms of how have you changed your billing model, that is, in order to accommodate the lifeguard and strategic partner approach? So this has been one of the challenges. So let's talk about some of my journey about trying to do this, what's working and what hasn't. When I started off, I start off with approach of let's do a subscription price model where the fixed monthly fee where I would actually still, which was still premised on me exchanging time for money. So I would say it's X hundreds of dollars. And in return for the X hundreds of dollars, I would still devote my time to you in exchange for a fee. It's still a subscription model, but I'm still at the end of the day exchanging time for money. And it's got a bottleneck. It's got I a also, bottleneck in that and it's got you a only have so many hours in the day. Yeah. And especially when you've got other obligations like family, personal, whatever other obligations you have, that bottle, your, your ability to scale is limited to the time that I'm awake or you're awake. So what I think is the next evolution is the idea of delegating tasks to technology, right? So when we talk about building teams, we're really talking about the art of delegation. And traditionally, you would delegate it to another human being, whether it be an assistant or a staff member, or employee or a contractor, whatever, you're still delegating. In the digital age, you can also delegate tasks to technology. And I think that's where the scope of a lot of creativity comes in, where you can identify what tasks to delegate. Technology does it in a fraction of the time that you or I would be able to do it. And the client gets significant value. You as the service provider can make a decision of whether you're still going to charge the employee the same rate that I that you'd be charging for the service if you were to do it yourself, or alternatively charge it for a lower amount. 
And once you start doing that, you'll start realizing there's so many creative ways to build out really unique things that deliver the same amount, if not more value to clients, but allows you to go home at a reasonable time, which is fantastic. And, and, and yeah, right. And, and honestly, it's, I mean, at the end of the day, the value is, and, and this is the same problem in my industry, people confuse heavy lifting as being the value that we provide. When the heavy lifting is just the implementation of our knowledge. And that simple example, like, you know, financial plans, right? How long does it take to do that? Or, or clients will be like, well, of course I'm getting paid. Look how long it takes to handle this paperwork. Like, really? You think that is the value you provide? That That's an obstacle to the value you provide, not the value you provide. And the way you're reframing your approach to delivery of your knowledge basically is just finding more ways to deliver your knowledge in a cost-effective way, but also... Look at the world we live in. I mean, I interviewed a uh, on my other podcast, a company that did uh, property and casualty insurance for small businesses. I think the average or like the most frequently used time of their service was after 10 p.m. Business owners are busy individuals. And this sort of stuff is not stuff that they handle between nine and five. And think about your availability, right? Your availability is limited. If you have your family and whatnot, you're not yeah. going to want to be available at 11 p.m. But you know what? Are they going to want to be able to reuse any number of resources you provide? at that hour on their on a self-serve basis to some degree, they're probably willing to get started there. Yeah. And that's actually where I'm moving my practice towards, to be honest with you. Um, I'm moving my practice towards a model where there's going to be lots of resources out there that I'm developing and putting together and kind of like a resource library that my clinical subscription clients will have access to at any time they want to, right? So if you want, let's say, figure out how to terminate an employee, rather than wait for my time to be available, I've already recorded some material that will get you a significant other way there, as well as other checklists and other, this type of stuff, other stuff, which will really help you move on and solve the problem. Because again, like you said, Jason, clients are coming to us to either solve a problem, to reduce risk, or to manage process. They're not, they're hiring us to write documents, to write a contract, or to write a financial plan. They're hiring, they're exactly. actually hiring us to solve a problem, minimize risk, or to manage process. That's where our value is. And that's for all service providers. That's, I don't think that's for lawyers. I think for any service provider, those three things. Well, I think you're really hitting on the difference between an experience and basically a product, right? And that's that's really the difference in, in logic, right? And too often, it's the old Clayton Christensen thing, which I've been known to say quite frequently. It's, you know, people don't buy three-quarter inch drill bits, they buy three-quarter inch holes. And too often, we're just like, we're just going to sit back and talk about how great the drill bit is, how great the, or how good or whatever it is we can do that's, you know, my contract's better than that, or my plan's better than that. At the end of the day, that's not what they want. They just want to know they're going to be okay. And we confuse right. the tool set that we use to provide the end deliverable outcome with the value we provide, right? Like everything, like a contract, a financial plan, whatever, is just a stack of paper. That's really, really comes down to. It is the encapsulation of the knowledge we've delivered that is, is the value. It's a strategy, right? That's what it is, exactly. right? And I think, I mean, a, a common criticism that I've faced is that, Romesh, if you were to use this model, then every lawyer is going to be doing the same thing. It's actually not true. I mean, no, this there's room for way lots of, of doing models. things. Yeah, yeah. And, the thing, and the thing is, there's so much of creativity and you're now better positioned to create a model that reflects your personality, your style of doing things and your approach to the practice of law or the practice of financial planning or whatnot. Yeah. Right. Well, and, I mean, I've already seen this in the accounting it's, field. Um, I mean, I've had people on here, uh, Live CA and uh, the company I use quite frequently, and they've been on on various podcasts. 
they pioneered a monthly subscription model of, of accounting and stopped turning the relationship with the business's accountant from being one where you go see the accountant at the end of the year and they're like, oh, here's your tax bill and here's my bill. Like what a terrible, terrible experience, sure. right? And their entire thing was, look, people expect us to work magic at the end of the year to fix problems we can't fix because it's too late, right? Whereas the model now allows for regular engagement because they're compensated for it and, and everything is designed around that regular engagement and the value provided is substantially greater. Same basic premise to how I see conversions in my business. And as for the statement about like, oh, everybody will do that. Well, first off, just like my business, it's bizarre. It's like, why do people fixate and think that there's only one methodology for how to deliver a service? It is, how is there no innovation? How are the people just not willing to try something else in terms of how to deliver the same service? It's bizarre to me. It is. Um, I think the challenge is that we as lawyers, I'll speak the legal profession, that's what, that's what I'm more familiar sure. with. We are inherently, conservative is the wrong word, but we're fearful of change because we don't want to disrupt a business model that historically has worked for many. I don't even want to say it works for all of us. It's worked for many of us. But the ability to try and strike out and start your own thing and start something that's unique and different is inherently risky. Right. I was listening, I was in a clubhouse room a couple of days ago, and there was a guy there that was working at a personal injury firm. And he was saying, Look, I really want to start out. I really want to do this, but I've got a young family at home. I don't know how to start. And so I sympathize. I sympathize with that sentiment. It can be difficult. It is difficult to try and break the mold, as it were. But what I would encourage you to really think about is how much of value there is in building something that is your own, how much of support you're going to find once you do build a business around you and your personality and your approach, how much of like personal value you will gain and how much of value you could be giving to your clients. It might be a rough go for the first year. Absolutely. I had a really, for me, as I'm trying to do this, my first year, yeah, rough, but I'm loving it now. And if you're a business, forget lawyers, if you're a business trying to do this, if you have the right team advising you, it is possible. Believe it. You know, it's funny. It's so much of this topic is just stuff I love on a regular basis. The, I get the entire, the entire, like I have the young family to feed. I don't know if I can take risks. Like there's a stage in life where you can't take risks in business and other ones where it's harder. Totally understand and appreciate yeah. that. But I also think back to two subsequent stories. One, you know, in my industry all the time, when I talked about the need to ban certain forms of compensation because of lack of alignment with client outcome and people were like, well, you know, like, well, it's not possible to service this group of clients unless we do that. And my response is universally, what else have you tried? And universally, the the side the, is just like, well, what else is there? Yeah. Why does we just assume that this is the only way it has to be? It's bizarre. And then the, the second piece is, and then this is this is true of the law profession, legal profession, more than any other profession I've seen. The number of people who seem to go through law school and decide to get into something else is astonishing to me. And I like a friend of mine who's a, who's a technologist. He basically said, like, I don't want to be a parking meter my entire life. Right? He didn't want to be sitting there measuring every minute of what he was work of what client he was working on. He found the entire experience just not rewarding, right? And he literally just left the entire profession. So I often wonder how many, how many really, really bright people leave a profession because the the structure of the business model is just something that's just one size fits all and not conducive to how they feel they can deliver value or their skill set. Right. The same problem in my industry. The number of incredibly intelligent, well-meaning people who get driven out because they're not willing to sell insurance to their cousins and best friends, you know, just to just to stay afloat every other, uh, you know, and meet a target every month. It's crazy, right? It's crazy. And so, if anything, every industry to some degree 
rewards that people can go out and sell fast because that's how you that's how you stay sure. solvent early on, right? But there's something to be said about taking a step back and realizing that maybe that model, if that model is not for you, what else is there? So what happened, I mean, that's so much of value there. I think at least for me and the way I look at the legal profession, I talk about five issues that lawyers in general face. The first being we are facing increased competition. There's going to be clients that want more value for less money. You've got another pressure of technology and try to outcompete technology, which is difficult. You've got a fourth issue of trying to keep a work-life balance, which is especially true if you have a young family or you're trying to balance those responsibilities. And the last being mental health and loneliness, like decision-making loneliness, right? And to be candid, I mean, it was those five challenges that really compelled me to start my own practice because I struggled with my mental health. I struggled with trying to figure out this, this billable hour model sustainable for me over the next five years. And for me, the answer was no, it wasn't. I do not think, I don't think the billable hour model is sustainable over the long term. And so for me, the only conclusion was why do I not invest in myself and to build out relationships that I know that will will be with me for the next five or 10 or 15 years, right? That was the decision I made. It may not be the right decision for everyone, but that that was the decision I made. But going back to your point, I think we as a, and part of this also is our governing bodies. Our governing bodies are inherently, um, let's cater to the bottom. <laughs> oh, the problem of every regulatory organization. You got to protect the, you got to protect the lowest common denominator, unfortunately. Right. But here's the thing. What I don't understand, and I struggle to understand is why isn't there a separate program for lawyers that want to challenge status quo? Why don't we have an innovation type of approach to or the problem with doing it yourself is that all the risk is on your shoulders. Why is there no program to diversify the risk so that we can all learn from those common experiences and deliver more value to our colleagues as well as society? It doesn't make sense to me, but maybe I'm just silly. <laughs> no, um, I agree. I, I agree. It's, it's it all too often as, as someone who's been an antagonist for, for a chunk of his career, towards industry status quo and called some very unfortunate names in public for doing so. I find that it's the old, you know, Steve Jobs saying, first they call you crazy, then all this other stuff, and then they start following you and they call you a genius. And I've seen that happen where, you know, 10 years ago, the people who were, who were like yelling me, like yelling me down or calling me negative words because I was trying to, you know, I was challenging compensation models and whatnot, you know, are are fully adoptive now and and become friends because they want to, you know, start disrupting their own thinking, right. And start adapting to the world around them. It's um, you really, really, really want to get people lashing out at you attack the methodology in which they make their money that is that is one of the oh, most yeah. sensitive things especially when especially when there's a inter- if they don't want to publicly say it there's some question on in their mind that maybe what they're doing isn't quite right like they lash out out of defensiveness so i want to address a couple of things you mentioned specifically the you know specifically around technology and margin compression loneliness we'll get to in a second because that is a there's a common problem amongst amongst people who are yeah. self-employed the reality is I hear this in every end, in, in most service industries, like, oh man, technology is going to make it harder. My margins get compressed. Guess what? That's every industry known to man. Like that is, I don't know why specifically like my industry, law, anyone else seems to think that they can avoid this entire trend of how every other business works. But that is exactly what happens, right? Like there is downward pressure on pricing across the board because of competition and technology is part of that. And again, going back to my other podcast, the reality is I tell people all the time is great, ignore it. If you ignore it, you're going to suffer from margin compression. The only way to fight margin compression is through efficiency. So basically, yeah. 
want to try to, yeah, there's only two ways. You, you keep your service levels high to try to keep your pricing at a reason at a higher than most common denominator price. And you have to work on efficiencies. So, and anyone who's an entrepreneur listening to this right now, who's basically successful, got to a certain point, knows that's the truth because you can't scale humans when they cost like 60,000 minimum to start from day one. Like it's really hard. It's really hard to keep your profitability if it's all a bunch of paper and people. This is a funny story. So I used to be, so I never wanted to become, be a lawyer. I was fairly left wing progressive in university and whatnot, less so now. But I think that there are implications of how we're thinking on how we think about employee-employer relationships. But to address this specific point, it's not only a cost of dollar value, but it's also a cost of risk. The thing with technology is that if, it, if done right, it will spit out the same output given the same information. And oftentimes when it comes to people and employees, that is not always the case. And so one of the biggest benefits mm-hmm. of technology is, yes, it may be cheaper financially, but it's also a rest, less risky proposition over a long term, assuming that the technology keeps developing and keep it up to date. So that's the one piece I want to say. I think that when it comes to technology, it's not just about a financial thing. It's all from a risk perspective. It also makes sense. But also when we're talking about efficiency, this is an age-old thing. Like one way, there's two ways to make, to make more profit. Keep your costs low or increase your revenue. And all we're talking about when we talk about subscription model or rethink and reimagining a business model is that is that element. How do you lower your costs or you increase your revenue? And the thing is, is and we talked about this off air previously, when you move from a model that is designed to sell something or compensation comes at the time of sale to an ongoing engagement, your mindset around delivering value changes dramatically. I had this mm-hmm. conversation with an advisor I know who's kind of who's building his business and he said, contemplating that model, he was like, you know, it, when you really think about it, it really does change the engagement because the only planners come in and they deliver, you know, a lot of them just deliver this one plan, maybe they offer an ongoing engagement, but it's, it's essentially they've turned the plan into a product in many cases. And he's like, no, you know, I've got every incentive to actually take the findings from that and make them bite-sized and digestible and have a series of meetings to basically stretch it out because I am delivering, because then basically I'm not overwhelming them with information, which don't necessarily have to do that, but I'm slowly on a, it's a stewardship as opposed to a delivery. And that's, you know, you don't have to be under that kind of compensation model. That's exactly how I run my practice, but it's, it's constantly thinking about not where's the next client going to come from. It's more so how do I basically just meet their needs in different in as many ways as possible and continue to offer value that's above and beyond. And if you're just looking for the next sale, Right? Or if you're looking for the next contract, if you're drumming up business somehow, right? the reality is your mindset is still towards the hunting as opposed to the, well, we'll call it the nesting approach, which is let's yeah. make this place as nice as possible. Yeah. And at least as a service, from a service provider perspective, I'm happier because it also means that I have a lot more flexibility. But I think from what the feedback that I received from my clients, I just dealt with this um, just before this podcast, before this call. I can start identifying things before my client has even identified an issue. Yep. And that in and of itself is valuable. If you are good at what you do, you can say to a client, hey, guess what? This came across. I was copied on this. These are the things you've got to be be worried about. Or this contract is going to affect this relationship. Don't sign it. Huge value. Huge value. Yeah, and, I, I see it all the time in my life too. But think about it. Like it's again, it's the unconscious incompetence, right? Like they don't, they don't know what they don't know. And 
the number of times I'm sure you said, like, just how many times in casual conversation with your clients, just catching up, has something come up that they thought was completely immaterial? And you're like, whoa, hold on, stop right there. And you managed to prevent them from doing something that would have would have been very foolish if they had they done it with full perspective. Oh, I have quite legitimately, Mike, I had a client that was looking to hire an employee for like mid six figures. And and he just brought up in passing and saying, and he said, stop, we're not doing this. Have you considered your other options? And because he considered his other options, there were lots of other avenues that she considered. And she was great. She was really happy because she 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 didn't get locked into a con into an employment agreement, spending way too much of money for some for a service that some that another one of her employees could do it. Like the value of relationships. If there's one thing that I want listeners to take away from this, the value of relationships, the value of advisory relationships as opposed to advisory one-off services is immense. If you've never tried, you've got to try it. And like I no longer, all my relationships now are advisory. I pay on an ongoing basis. Yeah, and we we talked about this previously. I mean, in large part, mine are as well. I mean, mine a little bit different because I, you know, refer a fair amount of business. I know these people on a personal level. So not everybody can have a personal friendship with their lawyer, right? Right. Where it's like, I can just text them and be like, uh, so so this is going on. Don't need to know anything, right? Or or we'll just be catching up. We'll just be catching up. And you know, I'll be, you know, before yeah. COVID, I'd be a Raptors game. It's like, so what's going on? Well, all this is going on. It's like, hmm, we should look at that. Like, not everybody's got the benefit of that, right? And oftentimes clients yeah. are, you know, even in our process, it's like, well, okay, so you're done delivering the entire like value proposition in the first year. You're gonna update at least every three years. What happens in between? What happens in between is I call you and ask you what's happening in your life, right? And you think you think it's you think it's idle chit chat. You may think it's idle chit chat. It's not idle chit chat. It's me constantly looking for things going wrong. It is me constantly looking for things I can fix because it's left to their own devices. People will forget that you do certain things or that things are in your own purview, right? Like, oh, you do that too? That's the thing. That's the most painful thing I ever hear. So if we're not constant, and it's not their responsibility to know everything or every value we can possibly deliver. It's our responsibility to make sure we discover those opportunities for them and help them. So I fully, fully endorse this. I, I hate, I, I really, one just last personal story on this. I get approached for doing like one-off financial plans for very high net worth people on occasion. And I've done it in the past. They are the least satisfying relationships I've ever had in this business. They are completely transactional. I don't see, I never get to see the progress and migration. Like, let me ask you this. I mean, for me, in my position, one of the things I love in my business, I get to watch people win over time. I get to see their progress. I get to celebrate that with them. I mean, you must have had that experience as well in, in your thing. Like you've seen probably people start off very small and scale. Like how satisfying is it to be a part of that? Oh, incredible. I mean, that's the more rewarding part of being like this fractional legal counsel. And the other part of this is that clients are grateful. They're so grateful for the service. Look, look I did, I was at one point in time uh, providing legal service under legal aid. Just before, just before I became a lawyer, and it was a great relate. It was a great time, just because I'd cl- I'd saw I had a lot of clients that were very thankful that I was providing the services, and I cherished those clients. But I also had another segment of the population that weren't as grateful, that really demanded a lot from me, even though they weren't paying a dime for my services. That's okay. I'm not complaining about it. But all I'm saying is that I've cherished my experience a whole lot more for the clients that came to me and said, "Oh my gosh, Ramesh, thank you for what you've done." And same thing with my practice as a lawyer. When I started my career as a litigator, so people would pay me to court to argue. I was so much happier for the clients that were thankful for my services than the clients that just took me for granted. 
But I also yeah. say, I think that this, this model is more conducive to the thankfulness, right? Like when you're an ongoing part of oh, people's lives and yeah, exactly. Right. Like, again, like I said, from the beginning, it's an adversarial relationship with a lawyer almost from day one. The number of times, like I have heard clients say like, I'm, I'm like, have you spoken to your lawyer about this? Like I would say that to them and the response is, yeah, but every time I call him, he's going to start charging me. It's like, first off, most of the lawyers I know are not that clock dependent. They're not going to you know, flip the switch the second a phone call comes on. But there's that perception, right? And there's that, there's, that, there's that antagonization. Like, it's just like, we're in a confrontational relationship. I don't want to pay you if I don't have to. And you want to charge me because that's how you get paid, right? So it just creates such, it's always, and because it's not an ongoing sum that is, let's call it not just reasonable, but digestible, it's a much bigger number. And here's the other point I think I made to you the first time we chatted. The predictability of revenues under a model like this is far superior to that of what you were dealing with before, right? Yeah. I mean, like, look, it's the pain. Like, when a client is looking to talk to a lawyer, the two biggest pain points are, A, we're costly. B, I don't know how much we're going to cost. I mean, that's kind of the reason why when it comes to a lot of my contracts or startup services, I do it either on a flat fee or a subscription model because that gives some pricing certainty to the clients. Yep. Look, a client is looking, all a client wants is a problem solved for a price that they can pay. That's all they're looking for. And lawyers who cannot give them a price that they can pay, the client's going to be dissatisfied. And yep. why should, and the thing is, why should we allow clients to think that, they, that there's no cap on our legal fees? I don't think that's appropriate. It's okay to say to a client, look, here's an estimate. But we should not be able to say, like, look, I'm going to ding you every single time you call, and I'm going to bill you for every three minutes or six minutes spent on the phone with me. It's ridiculous. So I don't know. I think we as a profession have a lot to learn from our non-lawyer business colleagues about how they structure and run their businesses. And I think that if we're incentivized to do so, we can provide so much more value. And it's just unfortunate that those incentives aren't there right now. Exactly. So Ramesh, this has been great. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about your services? Sure. Yes. So if you go to uh, my website, bilawyers.ca, that's the starting point. There's a whole bunch of free resources there that I'm putting up uh, pretty much on a monthly basis. So if you want any of those, just click on free resources and just download something for free. And again, it's completely free. There's no payment made. And yeah, then if you want to schedule a call, you can schedule a call right on the website and book a call on my calendar. Excellent. Thank you again, Ramesh. Very much appreciated. Jason, thanks so much. Cheers. So that was my conversation with Ramesh at uh, BNI. As you can see, uh, we, we share a very common mind on, on relationship management and how restructuring the relationships compensation model leads to a restructuring of the value proposition and frankly, a far more fulfilling and better, far more positive outcome for everyone involved. So please take the time to check him out if you are looking for a lawyer. In the meantime, as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you. 